Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey there, Michael here. This is a special edition or special series for the Thriving Farmer podcast that talks all about the amazing benefits and the amazing opportunity with growing elderberries. So uh, this is an audio version. Now we do have a video version of this series as well. It's a four part video series. So I highly encourage you to head on over to elderberryworkshop.com and you will get all the details and the videos as well as some additional resources we have put together around growing elderberries. So I'll head on over to elderberryworkshop.com and get all the details about the workshop. All right, I am back with Taylor. Taylor, share with us a little bit about who you are, your farm, and how you got into elderberries. Yeah, um, my name's Taylor Clark. I live just outside Cincinnati in Morrow, Ohio. And, um, you know, we have a 150-acre family farm. And um, right now, my parents live on it. And I've been 15 years in the landscape business, and um, we're eventually going to be moving out there. So in order to make this farm able to pay for itself one day, make it sustainable, you know, it took a lot of, uh, I guess, research and a lot of prayer to kind of understand what we wanted to grow out there. Yeah. And um, the, the layout, the topography of the farm is a little bit unique. We've got upper fields. We've got side fields and then we've got lower fields. But the one thing that makes this farm real unique is that it has an abundant water source at mm. the top fields. Okay. And um, that played a big part in, you know, us trying to figure out what we wanted to grow. I first wanted to grow something that I knew that would be profitable. Yeah. But most importantly, I wanted to grow something that I could be passionate about growing for the next 15 to 20 years. Yeah. And immediately the research took us right to the elderberries. With COVID, with everybody becoming more health conscious, and the fact that this is a medicine that is already proven to help people during tough times, you know, you know, it, it was a no-brainer for us. Um, and so we, two years ago, we uh, started our first installation. We um, installed 650 um, elderberry cuttings and um, just kind of went from there. And yeah. uh, got three different varieties we started with. We started with the Adams variety. We started with... Um, Ranch and Bob Gordon's, which yeah. came highly recommended for commercial production. So we went what with what was already known to produce. Yeah. So and that's where we went. Now, talk to us a little bit about why water is important, because uh, and it depends on really where your fields are, because you've got upper fields, right? And you're planting in those upper fields. Yes, correct. Water is important, really, only a month and a half out of the year. Usually, you're flower season comes in early to mid-June okay. and once those flowers start changing over and developing berries you're into the first week of July yeah. and here in southwest Ohio that's when it starts getting hot and what you want to do is you really want to start 
when those berries or those flowers start turning into berries, you really want to start pumping them. So typically we keep our irrigation off all the way until July, get everything cleaned out at the beginning of July. And um, we're running the, uh, our irrigation, um, our drip line irrigation system out of a pond mm -hmm. through double barrel sand filters. And we're irrigating typically two to three times a week for four hours per session. Yeah. So um, they say the rule of thumb is four inches a week, um, but we just let it roll and okay. uh, go with that. Yeah, and then the, the, all right, so let's go back though, because if you have, let's say, bottom land, sometimes you don't even need irrigation. Yeah, you know, you, you don't need as much irrigation. If you've got land that, you know, holds a little bit water better, um, but at the same time, you, you got to have insurance. Because if it, stops, if it stops raining in the beginning of July and doesn't rain except like maybe a quarter inch all the way through mid-August, you know, even when those, you know, those bottom sections, they're going to dry up eventually. Gotcha. Especially in the heat of the summer. Yeah. So you need it for insurance. So let's talk a, a couple minutes about the elderberry and why, like, it makes a good fit. I mean, one of the cool things is it's a really shorter season. So like 10 months or nine months out of the year, there's not a lot going on. There's not. And a great, one great thing about the elderberry plant is, is you can sell the whole plant. Mm -hmm. You can sell the you can sell sell the stems and cuttings in the wintertime. Um, the leaves itself have medicinal purposes that our research and everything is still going into. You can yep. sell the flowers, and you can also sell the berries in, in in multiple forms. And that's that's the biggest thing that I like about the plant is you can sell this entire plant. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a hardy grower. The American canadensis is something, you know, it, it's hardy. It's easy to propagate. Um, it's disease for the most part, disease, for disease and, and, and drought resistant until it gets really dry in the summertime. Yeah. And um, it, it's resilient. It's, it's a wonderful plant. Yeah. So walk us through like how you got established. You got, you started with 650. What was your land prep like? Okay. So we, we installed all our berries in established patch pasture land, okay. which is, which had been taken for hay for who knows, decades and decades and potentially even century. Okay. Um, so first thing we did is we ran a three bottom plow and established our rows, our rows, were four foot wide in that three bottom plow actually cut a four foot wide exact row right yep. down our lines. Um, once we did that, we took a four foot rototiller. Yep. And let the, let the ground sit for a little bit. And then we started fluffing it up, started rototilling and yep. ran it through a couple times. And we plant our rows 16 foot apart on center. Okay. Because once those rows fill in thoroughly, you know, you want to have plenty of room to get through those rows with a mower, with a, yeah. with a bush hog, and you don't want to get whacked in the face, you know, if you're trying to get between those rows when those things get big. So 16 foot on center with the rows, we plant our cuttings, we space four foot apart down yeah. the center of the row. And like I said, the width of the row is four foot. And we kind of try to keep everything clean. You know, just we want to keep, when we do our installation of our rows, we're not trying to get dirt off to the side, left and right. We just want to keep it nice and straight, nice yeah. and compact. And that's how we did our rows. After that, 
we did our soil amendments. Um, we made a couple adjustments in there with nitrogen, phosphorus, um, got our soil amendments made, tilled them in for the last time. And then we basically got a heavy duty, non-woven landscape fabric, four foot wide rows or yep. rolls, rolls. And we took that right down our tilled area, our tier rows and stapled it in with sod staples on each side. Yep. And um, once that was done, we got a uh, little drywall breakaway blades or a little exacto knives. Yeah. And in every four foot, right down the center of those of that fabric, we cut little X's, little six to eight inch X's. Okay. And then that's when you're ready to go ahead and stick your cuttings in. Yeah. And so once once our fabric was down, stapled in, our little holes were cut. We took those cuttings. Right, we did ours um, early to mid-April, and you really okay. want to you really want to stick those cuttings when you think that we're that we're out of the clear for any type of hard freezes. Yeah, um, and even if we do get a late, you know, hard freeze, like I said, this plant is resilient, and so are the cuttings, so they can take a hard freeze and bounce back. That, that's yeah. usually not an issue, and we just walk down our rows and out of our five-gallon bucket, stuck those cuttings right in those X's and left them. Yeah. Now, the other thing is you do not need a rooting compound. Those things, you know, once they put in that soil, they'll take right off. They'll take right off. Yeah. Yes. We didn't use any type of um, root growth enhancer or anything like that. We just made sure that our soil was nice and fluffy to where when those roots do begin to reach yeah. out of that cutting, that there is, is nothing hard, nothing in their way, and they can just push out and go. And that's that's pretty essential. So. Now let's, let's say we've got someone who maybe they're just learning about this now and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to put elderberries in, but my ground's not prepped. They can put those in pots and they can, you know, start them in pots, correct? And then transplant them a little bit later in the season, as long as they have good irrigation. Yes, that that's correct. And, you know, a lot of people I would think have different opinions on starting them in pots. Um, yeah. One thing that is known, if you go to any local nurseries, or any garden centers, you're, you're not going to find very much American canadensis plants. You're going to find a lot of nigra, more ornamental in there. Um, but we have found that once they establish their roots in the containers that you put them in, they're, they're, they're hard to maintain because you have got to keep water on those things because they do suck up water. And they grow really fast. And they grow really fast. Yeah, and so you can so gain, you probably gain six weeks, you know, until you get your sound, but you want to then get them right in. And I would recommend a half gallon to a gallon pot. Yes, and what you want to do is you want to check the root establishment in those pots. You don't want that root to really overfill that pot. You want yeah. to get it right to when those roots really reach out and start reaching the tips of the soil inside the pots. And then that's when you want to transfer those. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a good, it's a good thing. Now, one other point too, because there's not a lot of these at nurseries, if you're a farm that has, let's say like bedding plant sales, or you have a customer base who may be interested, you can pot these up and sell the entire pots to people as well, as well as sell them sticks as well. But that is something that we did and actually had a quite pretty good success with that selling people um, the pots, you know, 1995, pretty easily, easily to get, especially on that retail scale for one or two of them. 
That's exactly right. Another way to market, you could sell the cuttings, you can pot these things and sell them in pots later on in the year. Yeah. So many ways that you can sell the elderberry there. You can sell the whole plant in different methods. You can sell the berries fresh, sell the berries frozen. You can get a dehydrator and sell the berries dehydrated. You can freeze dry the berries. Yeah. Um, you can make in, in, and what's the biggest thing right now is, is the artisan syrup and product makers. Yeah. And now I also see some people doing you pick. Yeah. You pick is another thing that you can do, but how you management that, you know, there's, you know, it, it can, I, I could foresee that being somewhat of a challenge on whether you want to use you me to buy, buy your own de stimmer and have people dim stem themselves. And, you know, one thing when you're in the field with, harvesting elderberries is you really want to wait to those berries get fully ripened so there's going to have to be a little bit of education beforehand before you send these pickers in there because you know a lot of people don't know what they're doing for the yeah. most part especially with elderberries if they're picking berries for the first time so there'll be have to be a little bit of education with it but absolutely there's a, definitely um, a, pro, a profitable venture and you pick elderberries absolutely yeah. All right, so we've got the sticks in the ground. Let's, what's after, what's the next step after that? Is keep them weed free. You know, in the first two years, it's very important that you have these little holes where these cuttings are grown out. You have to keep the weeds from growing out around it and competing with those roots. Yeah. So, you know, the fabric, I 100% recommend it. It is going to keep a lot of weeds from growing around your plants. But at the same time, there are going to be some weeds that grow up in those little holes alongside. So it's going to require minimal hand weeding through there. And what we do at the, at the beginning of the second year is inside that fabric, basically, we have these little X's where we have these plants that have grown. And at the end of the first year, we will take that same type of knife and change those X's into larger circles, kind of just open up the neck around that plant because in the beginning of your second year most of your new shoots are going to come out right at the base of that plant and so we make our make our x's into circles and then we take wood chips or you can take mulch leaves any type of ground cover material and we'll go ahead and mulch in those circles because that'll keep a lot of weeds from growing but at the same time it'll allow the shoots to rise up because those shoots will push up and it's we're going to be really tough to stop them even with six inches of mulch on top of them. So yeah. it's kind of what we do. Mulch them. Yeah. Keep the weeds down, keep the moisture in. And then yes. the, the after, so you plant them year one, year two, are you supposed to pick all the blossoms off so they don't um, try to fruit? You know, actually year one, we try to um, pick the blossoms off. Okay. Because when you do, when you have these smaller cuttings that actually are starting to, you know, develop flowers, you know, you want to keep all that, that um, energy of the plant still okay. focused towards growing in the roots. And if it starts to flower, it's going to put a lot of energy towards that flower into that fruit, but you don't want that to happen in the first year. You yeah. want to put all that energy. So we go ahead and just pick the flowers off in the first year, but in the second year, let them go. Okay. Let, let, let the flowers turn into fruit. You're, you'll get a harvest in your second year. We did, uh, we've got a pretty significant harvest. And from the picture that you see right now, these are all second year plants. Wow. From cutting. It so, grows so um, fast. 
they, they grow fast and they're just beautiful. And, you know, and like I said, and those will start changing in June. Okay. These flowers will start turning into berries. And you can see in the picture here, you know, um, this is Adam's variety yep. that we're picking here. It's an indeterminate. So right there, you can see that we have some that are yep. still green and yep. um, some that are, are already ripe. Yeah, that's the Adam variety. So basically our harvest season, it lasted three weeks okay. to where we started our first pull. I think we pulled 50 pounds. And then three days later, we were like at 75 pounds going through all our rows and harvesting. Yeah. And um, I think about a week and a half into harvest, we were pulling 300 pound picks. Wow. And that happened two or three times. And then yeah. it kind of plateaued. And then it kind of dropped into the end of the harvest where we pulled another 25 pounds and they were done. Yeah. So, and what's the typical yield per acre that you can go up to? Obviously, it will range depending on your variety and spacing and all of that. Right. Um, well, for our second year, we harvested 1,100 pounds in off of 650 plants. Okay. So, so if you can, at our spacing, you can typically count on 1,000 plants to be equivalent to one acre. Okay. Yeah. So if you do the math, that was in our second year, we were just over, or excuse me, just under two pounds per plant. Yeah. Um, now, as these rows between begin to fill in and these plants become mature, I mean, those those numbers are going to double, yeah. if not triple. Yeah. And if you have a good establishment, fully mature head rows, you can you can expect anywhere, I'd say, between five to eight pounds per plant. Yeah. And that's quite a bit when you add that up and consider how many plants you can have per acre and yeah. So if that's a thousand plants an acre, that's 8,000 pounds. Of, so four tons an acre. Yeah. But then, but then obviously your son leaves, you're selling because um, you can sell the blossoms. And again, you really want to prune off 20% of your blossoms too, be, easily. Be, and it's one of those things that if you prune some of them off, they'll push the other ones to get just a little bit bigger. So it doesn't hurt to take up to 20%. Absolutely. They say 15%, you can harvest 15% of your elderflowers and still not affect the yields Okay, fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of 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 how much berry poundage you get. Okay, and then the uh, flower can be used for teas. They can use it for edible flowers. They can make they can make cordial with it. There's a lot of things that people do with the elderflower. Uh, a lot of things that they can do with it, and research is going to continue to progress, and they may yeah. find even more things to use it for. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk a little bit about harvest here, because this is you showed a picture of the elderberries. This is actually destemming them. Yeah, um, destemming was was awesome. If you have a destemmer, okay, um, we knew that we were going to have some poundage, and you know there are a couple ways to destem without the destemmer. Um, the most probably the most efficient way is to go ahead and get all your berries on the cymes and go ahead and put them in big garbage bags and stick them in a freezer. Okay. Freeze those berries, let them freeze, and go ahead and pull them out once they're frozen and the berries will just drop off. Ah, okay. Or you can go, it's a little, if you, if you don't have, you know, acres and you just have a, a plot, small plot, you can go ahead and, and it's a little tedious, but you can pick them off with your fingers. Yeah. It takes a little bit of time, but I would say. Could you also probably, set up like hardware cloth to kind of rub them over hardware cloth? You can rub them over hardware cloth. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do this, you know, and, and we're still innovating. 
you know, yeah. we're still trying to figure all this out on different ways to de-stim. Um, but yeah, we went, uh, went ahead and made the move on buying a de-stimmer and yes, and it was very efficient. We bought um, Terry Durham's elderberry de-stimmer okay. and it did, it did well. Yeah, and that, and you've well. tried multiples and Terry's is, in your opinion, the best. Terry, in my opinion, is the best. And the only 100%. one. <laughs> All right, so this, this, so then what's this right step right here? The step, well, once we um, de-stim, we have to sanitize and clean our berries. And how we did it is we just got a big three compartment sink. Yep. In the first sink, we put our sanitization water. We use Sanidate 5.0, which is an excellent, excellent sanitizer. We yep. can sanitize our berries along with all our equipment. It's like an all-in-one sanitizer that's yep. that's approved for organic. And um, so we sanitized in the first sink and did a double rinse in the second sink, in the, in, yep. in the next two sinks. And then we put them on the scale and we packed all our berries into four gallon square food grade buckets. Yep. And that's what you're seeing right here is loading the buckets. And typically you can get 25 pounds in each okay. bucket. And from the bucket, they either went straight into the dehydrators, they went straight into the freeze dryer, or they went on deck for those two. Yeah. And or they went straight in the freezer. Gotcha. Um, frozen fresh berries, they're they're only good for, I'd say. Keep them in the refrigerator for 36 to 48 hours max before they start to break down a little bit. So, you know, yeah. you need to have a plan for those berries if you don't have somebody coming and picking them up fresh within 36 hours. Yeah. So yeah, you want to start doing something with them right away. So obviously the ideal is kick them into a freezer or just make right straight your elderberry syrup right there because a good elderberry syrup will have a year shelf life. And so obviously, you know, again, make all your elderberry syrup right then. Then obviously by the next time that next year, you're going to do your next harvest. So um, exactly right. That's what I would see. There needs to be some more work for fresh elderberry um, syrup recipes. I think that's one of the things right now we need. To it's work delicious. That's, you know, how my family consumes our elderberries is we basically press it straight out the berry into a juice, into an extract. Yep. And then from that, you can mix your honey, you can do your ingredients, your recipes, and it's delicious. Yeah. Um, and it still has 100% of the nutrients when you're making your syrup from fresh or frozen. Yeah. Um, dehydration process automatically zaps 30% of the nutrients. Yeah. Out of the yeah. Freeze drying. Um, it, it, it's a great way to do it because it only takes out 3%. So you still have about 95 to 90% of the original nutrients yeah. in the freeze-dried berries as well. So that's a good that's a good thing to understand when you are making your syrup that you want to provide your customers with the most, you know, power in your in your yeah. product. Exactly. And, um, so yeah. That's it, yeah. All right, so I'm thinking through him just trying to see if there's any other questions that I missed. We talked the weeds, we talked spacing, we talked soil prep, the varieties a bit, watering, the fertility, the harvest. Um you know, one thing I want to mention that's yeah. another great thing about the elderberry establishment is that, you know, this installation for us has come in phases. You know, yeah. you don't have to figure everything out in the first year. You just, you know, you need to understand on how to install them in the first year and how to maintain them through the first year. You know, in the second year, you have to understand, you know, 
on how to continue that maintenance. Mm, yes, yes. And then, and then you can figure a little bit more about harvesting. That's one thing yeah. you got to consider for your second year. You're not going to have to figure out harvesting in your first year. Yes. And then that's, and then maybe in your second and even your third year, you can start thinking about how you're going to make a product with these because you're going to finally have berries. So you have typically a one to three year span to figure all this out. Yeah. And, and saves a lot of time, you know? Well, yeah. And two, so you don't have to invest in a lot of expensive, like hard, uh, like the destemmer in that first year, right. you spend the money on your cuttings. And then the next year, because you're pruning those, you're going to have some, some cuttings to sell, which can very easily pay for your destemmer. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You can start and start hitting them cash flows, you know, yeah. after the first year and start generating some revenues. And um, because you the, know, demand, the demand for cutting is huge. Oh, yeah. Yes. And the demand for berries are huge, too. You know, we so we didn't expect to sell it so fast. Um, yeah. You know, I had two farmers markets all lined up because I expected we were going to have berries in the yeah. fall. Um, but once we opened our Facebook page, opened our website, let everybody knew we had cut um, berries available, they went around four days, they were gone. Yeah. Um, the way we sold our berries is um, there was a syrup maker, an artisan syrup maker up in Illinois caught wind that we had certified organic frozen berries available. Yeah. And when she found that out, um, she was actually looking for 2000 pounds. Um, but when we, she found out that we had 500 pounds available, she was on her way down here to wow. get those, to start getting them because they become yeah. scarce later on in the year. Yeah. Then we sold to some other artisan syrup makers who are starting specialty lines yeah. in their product. And, you know, we sold some dehydrated berries to them. And uh, then we got into um, an international food market here in Cincinnati yep. to where we broke down our dehydrated berries into four ounce packages, small. Yep. I mean, we went small because they told us that a consumer makes it's a lot easier choice to make a decision on something that costs 10.99 and less as opposed to going ahead and investing $36 in yeah. a pound. So we broke those we broke yeah. those down in small portions and they sold out by the end of the year there too. Wow. Um, one thing I want to mention is you know us elderberry growers we really have to give a lot of credit to all the artisan syrup makers out there mm -hmm. that have, you know, whether they're making their, their products from European berries, whether they're using American berries, it doesn't matter. They have been the ones that have really educated the population on the medicinal values of these berries. And at yeah. the same time, they've, they've created delicious ways to consume. And so you know, I don't expect to these artisan syrup makers to immediately change, you know, to American berries because, you know, they've been profitable on European yeah. berries yeah. and that's fine. But what I do expect is artisan syrup makers to begin specialty lines yes. in, in, yeah. in their product and starting and then through that, they'll start understanding and seeing the differences in between American grown berries, fresher berries, as opposed to what they're getting from overseas right now. Because I think Taylor is you that posted that graphic. And if you can send that to me, we'll kick it into this thing of the difference between the European and the American. The American, the color was so much better. The European just looked like dirty brown. Um, yeah, but you know, it's just, I believe that there's a lot of good berries coming from Europe. 
Well, absolutely. But, yes. at this, but at the same time, the consistency has not been there. Yeah. Because I find people that are getting bad stuff, they're getting good stuff. And, you know, that just, you know, there's just too many unknowns that's happening, that's coming from Europe, as opposed to the American berry to where, you know, you're getting these berries, you know, straight from the farm. Absolutely. You know, and, and yeah. there's a little term that they call small batch, so yeah. to speak. And pretty much everything you're getting from American growers right now are, are part of that notion as a small batch. There's a lot of quality. There's a lot of love going into the products. Yeah. And, um, and I think that contributes a lot to the difference of taste, smell, you know, even yeah. looking at them, like you said, I mean, the color difference was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the vision for your farm in the next couple of years? Well, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, a lot about that this winter. I'm trying yeah. to determine whether we want to be a big 20, 50 acre elderberry farm yeah. and do that, or we want to go in some other directions. You know, basically right now is my objective is to follow God's direction in all this, you know, yeah. and go where he leads me. And um, through that, I know we'll be successful this spring. Yeah. This spring, we're planning on installing 500 aronia berry bushes. You mentioned that, yeah. We're doing 450 haskets, five different varieties. The honeyberry is yep. another berry that's got great medicinal purposes that's really unknown around here. Yep. So I, I know I'm being led to diversify right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But after that, you know, I really want to see right now, we currently have two and a half acres of elderberries established. And yeah. I really want to see what it's going to take to heart, to grow, to maintain, to harvest, to process and selling two and a half acres of mature elderberries before I want to do any expansion. Yes. Um, so we'll just see where it goes. And right now we're just 100% focused on growing a great plant that produces beautiful berries, high in nutrition. And, you know, that's our main focus right now is, is growing the plant and, and growing it well. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can see some on-farm events too. I mean, that place, your place is beautiful. So, Thank uh, you. yeah. Uh, we're, we're actually planning a um, field day okay. in June where when these berries are, excuse me, these plants are going to be in full bloom, we're going to have a free family friendly field day out at our farm in Morrow to where we can take everybody through the fields. I can spend all day educating people. We could potentially have a fishing tournament for the kids oh, in fun. the irrigation pond and just have a good day free of charge where yeah. we can just bring people out and, you know, we want to help people be successful in this. And I think that's a really good way that we can do that. Absolutely. So, all right. So where can people find out more about you? Website, list them all off. Okay, well, uh, we put the most on our Facebook page. So okay. if you wanna, if you wanna check out Boulderberry Farms, yep, right there, Boulderberry Farms um, on Facebook. Um, that's a way you can go to Boulderberry.com. Yep, um, and start seeing how our price sheet. We're planning on getting our 2022 price sheet out next week. Seeing our pricing, um, we've got information on there. Or you can just give me a call. You know, this is my full-time job now. And yeah. I'm, I am not looking at this as competition. You know, I'm looking to help other people start growing because, you know, we're still so, the, the industry 
compared here in America compared to the European industry is still in its infancy. Yes. And we need more growers and there's no competition out there. The demand is too high. Yeah. So, uh, so give me a call. I'm doing this full time now. You're not going to bug me calling me and asking me about elderberries. And you can find my number through our Facebook page and likely our website. So check Absolutely. that out. Cool. So Boulderberry, both on Facebook and just web search and it will come all up. Cool. Yes, sir. Perfect. Well, thank you, Taylor, so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Again, you've been a great you. friend and you've been out to my farm and helped me with our elderberries. So I really appreciate that as well. But um, yeah, you're the, the master and I, uh, I wish mine looked like yours. <laughs> they will. I'll be sure to it. All right. Thanks, Thanks Michael, so much, Taylor. Appreciate it. See ya. So that's a wrap, folks. And if you want to hear more about elderberries and get the video version of this presentation, head on over to elderberryworkshop.com where you can sign up to get all four sessions in a video format as well as additional resources on all things elderberry. So we have places to buy elderberries, places to get courses, more info to learn about the different speakers and all of that in this series. So head on over to elderberryworkshop.com. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.